This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. This could be make or break day for Canada's bid for a temporary seat on the UN Security Council. The first round of voting for two vacancies on the 15-member council is on, and we'll soon find out if the Trudeau government's campaign for the seat is paying off. Uh, Trudeau has chatted up about 61 national leaders from Senegal to Spain, from Uganda to Ukraine, in his bid to beat either Ireland or Norway for one of those seats now up for grabs. The Prime Minister says it is an important way to extend our influence in the world. The opposition has accused him of cozying up to dictators to burnish his international brand. And as of Monday, Ottawa had spent $2.3 million on the campaign. Canada last sat on the Security Council in 1999-2000. If you have a comment on this, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Let's go to Jonathan Berkshire Miller, Deputy Director and Senior Fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute, and Dr. David Carment, Professor of International Affairs at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. Uh, it's a let's, pleasure to be on. Thanks. Uh, let's start with Jonathan. Uh, what's your take on this? Is this just, uh, uh, you know, wh- why is the Trudeau government so keen on this? And have they been cozying up to dictators? Well, again, thanks for having me on. I mean, I, I would start with saying that uh, I think that the Trudeau government has uh, placed a, a large uh, priority on the multilateral agenda. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. So, I mean, you know, the UN Security Council continues to be a prestigious forum. The challenge is, and I think this is kind of the point that uh, that I'd like to make, is the trade-offs that we we have from this. So, obviously, you reference some of the the dealings with and bilaterally with certain states, be it in Africa or elsewhere, where we have to kind of compromise our our interests and our ideals uh, to secure votes. But what I'm perhaps even more concerned about is that. The multilateral space has become quite diffuse in the past uh, 10 years, say. Um, and while the UN um, continues to be an important voice, I think expending too much capital and too much, um, not just money, but basically diplomatic time on the UN versus other forms, I think has its trade-offs. So if you, just to name a few, uh, you know, Canada is also involved in the G7, the G20, uh, regionally, we're involved uh, in the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation for Asia, uh, in addition to other forms. So uh, if we're focusing too much of our efforts uh, and expecting returns uh, through the UN Security Council, I worry uh, what, what cost that might have to our uh, engagements uh, more broadly. Dr. Carment? Well, there's a lot at stake here for the Liberal government. Uh, it's not just that there's a multilateral agenda that Canada would like to be uh, involved in and see reinvigorated. It's it's partly very much tied into the Liberal brand. Uh, they, Trudeau came to power in 2015 accusing the Harper government of having fa- failed to live up uh, uh, to uh, the Canadian commitment to 
uh, multilateralism. When they last uh, made an effort to get a seat on the Security Council in 2010 and failed to do so, uh, this was a, an opportunity for for Justin Trudeau to point out that the, the the Harper government just didn't have what it takes. So there's a, a lot on the line for Trudeau, not just uh, the multilateral agenda, but also his own personal brand. He's put a lot of, on the table of his his own personal commitments, but he's also personalized the the agenda, so to speak, by associating the the willingness and the ability of Canada to make a difference in the world with his own personal uh, contributions to that. So if this goes badly, uh, then I think uh, there's a real loss here for Trudeau's brand. Uh, more specifically, uh, the question of whether it makes uh, will make a difference in the in, in the way in which we engage in the world is open 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 to question. So uh, there's there's no doubt that uh, Canada wants that seat. The Liberal government wants that seat. It's been 20 years, as you pointed out, since we were last on the. Uh, Security Council. Uh, that was a time of great uncertainty in the world. It was used to reasonably good effect, and it's not clear how the the Liberal government, if they succeed, will make be making the Security Council matter, uh, given the kind of geopolitical rivalries we have uh, in play right now. For example, China and Russia both oppose Canadian. The Canadian bid. India announced yesterday that they're not open to supporting Canada. So there's a number of heavy hitters out here. Who are really not. Uh, backing, backing candidates. Yeah, but and in the meantime, uh, the five permanent men- members can veto anything that they or their clients don't like. Uh, uh, and it seems like one of the reasons the government has been hesitant to call China out on human rights abuses, on our two prisoners, there is partly that bid for the Security Council seat. Is it? Is it worth it? I mean, what? Jonathan Berkshire, can you can you do given the polarization and given the fact that the five permanent members kind of have it sewn up and can veto whatever they like? Well, yeah, I agree. You have those sort of trade offs, and I think I mean the challenge is I mean if you look at the the China angle, that it's not just China itself uh, having that veto, but it's the countries that um, China feels that are more in its orbit, and some of this is through its uh, its large scale infrastructure spending. If you you think about the Belt and Road Initiative. Um, and even before the Belt and Road Initiative, some of the investment they've put into Africa, the South Asia, and not to say that these countries essentially uh, do the bidding of China, uh, but a lot of the a lot of the decisions that they make uh, on elections such as this can be influenced by states such as China. So I think that there's a lot of factors going into uh, a vote like that, and some of the behavior needs to be amended. But just if I could just you know make one more point. Uh, and, you know, on top of David's uh, very good point about multilateralism is that I think uh, this is a personal issue for this government as well. And I think from the foreign policy side, there haven't been many victories uh, for the Trudeau administration. And in fact, actually, there have been a lot of failures at the bilateral level and also at the multilateral level. If you if you think about uh, the India trip, uh, Trudeau was uh, going to China hoping for a free trade agreement. We know where that relationship's headed. And then also, uh, as someone who focuses and spends a lot of time in East Asia, uh, many who uh, in East Asia remember Trudeau uh, and his minister not showing up at the TPP uh, uh, potential signature in Vietnam. Eventually, we did get that deal across. But still, uh, you know, the reason I bring these out is that uh, another foreign policy failure, uh, such as not getting the UNCC, would, uh, would be quite damning to this government. 
Uh, yeah. Um, you know, we're also competing against countries that really have uh, put more into peacekeeping and aid and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so what, let's to be clear here. There's two seats up up for grabs. And so there's three countries vying for those two seats. Uh, if, if Canada gets this seat, um, it will largely be a mathematical victory. Uh, so the other players here are Norway and Ireland. And as you point out, they've been, they've been at this game much longer. Uh, there's some really glossy, really nice looking videos on YouTube that Ireland has, has put up there in a, in a, in an effort to bid, uh, to enhance its bid and really strong, strong claims that the, both governments can make in terms of con- contributing to international peace and security. Canada was a latecomer, uh, as you know, uh, 2015 was the announcement, but they really didn't get the ball rolling until a few years later. And now here we are into the second term of this government, and, and time is up. Uh, and then the pandemic comes along, and the Canadian government essentially had to shelf its uh, face-to-face meetings and reach out to countries in a virtual way, and now reposition itself in the last two months as a as a country, and with Trudeau more or less taking the lead, as a, as a leader who can make a difference in bring, bringing global cooperation and addressing the pandemic. There's some doubt as to whether the UN Security Council is going to be the, the vehicle or the mechanism for advancing that agenda, given, as you say, the opposition within the Security Council itself, but also the fact the United States is now walking away from a lot of UN agencies, including the WHO, UNESCO, and more recently it's uh, Sanction is threatening to sanction the International Criminal Court, which was a liberal signature brand policy initiative uh, under the previous liberal government. So there's a lot of things at stake here. What what it comes down to is that this this liberal government is probably going to pursue a lowest common denominator approach if they're victorious, uh, try to advance their feminist international assistance policy, their feminist agenda, where they think they have common ground in bridging with countries uh, either on the receiving end of their foreign aid or on their uh, strong diplomatic allies. And it, I think what we will not see is this effort to uh, introduce a geopolitical agenda in the Security Council, because there, as you say, there's little traction there, which raises questions as to whether, which was suggested the very first uh, comment was whether this is the best venue for achieving that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, outcome. Uh, there are others like the G20 and the uh, G- G7. Okay, yeah. Uh, I've got to uh, wrap things up. We're just about out of time. Uh, thank you so much, Jonathan Berkshire Miller and Dr. David Carment. Oh, you're welcome. Thank Bye-bye. you very much. Okay, and that's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.